So we are uh, going through the book First uh, John, and I, I understand that I'm going through slowly. But First John is one of those books that if you can just read through it and, and not catch what's going on here. And that's really what I'm really hoping uh, to do is just kind of show you uh, something uh, there that a lot of people just kind of either misinterpret or they overlook. So I am purposely taking my time uh, going through this first part. And so we are uh, right now entering into a major section of First John, First John chapter. Uh, starting here in verse 6 of chapter 1. And that really goes all the way down to uh, chapter 2, around verse uh, 26 or so. So uh, we're getting into that. And so what we're looking at is what does a walk in fellowship with God look like? Um, those whom God desires to fellowship with, and he desires to fellowship with all of us. Okay, so put that in your, your bonnets. He wants to fellowship with all of us. Uh, but those he, he desires to fellowship with uh, are those who are of a contrite heart. Okay, um, they desire to fellowship with God as well. And uh, to fellowship with God, what is the thing that I keep hammering on over and over again? Sincerity and truth, sincerity and truth, sincerity and truth. Okay? Remember, that's what Jesus said to the woman by the well. Those who worship God must worship God in sincerity and truth. That's what God's looking for as far as uh, those who he wishes to fellowship with as well as those who wish to fellowship with God. We need to worship, uh, we need to fellowship with God, and a part of that is worship, but uh, fellowship God with sincerity and truth. So we don't want to play games. We don't want to play games with God. Um, we want to um, honestly look at ourselves through the light of God's word and see if we measure up. See if we are walking according to what God's word says of us. Okay? That's the only way you're going to grow. That's the only way you're going to grow. Don't play the games. Don't play at church. You know? Seek to have fellowship with God uh, with sincerity and with truth. Uh, we're, we're to live according to, to the doctrine. Um, not contrary to the doctrine. Alright? And, and I think you guys understand that. I think you guys understand it. And I, I, I left with this statement in our lesson, uh, last week. False doctrine will always lead into false living for Christ. And a false living for Christ will lead into a counterfeit Christianity. That is what we want to avoid in our life. We do not want to live a counterfeit Christianity. We want to live a real Christianity. All the time we hear Brian say something about real battles. Always talking about real battles and real people. Okay. That's what we're, that's what we're wanting. So, um, last week I mentioned that uh, there are um, um, two things that have um, taken place in the church that um, has uh, caused great consternation to God's people. And um, that's what we're going to look at today, these two extremes. Now remember, I'm talking about extremes. Alright? So if you think of a pendulum, right? A pendulum, that's terrible, but a pendulum swings on extremes. So what I'm talking to you about tonight, uh, today is about extremes. So the first extreme on your worksheet is isolationism. Isolationism. Okay? Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Hopefully I'll have time to get through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 9. I don't know if that's on your study guide or not. Probably not. 
Is it? Perfect. I can't believe I did that. So, First Corinthians 5, 9. I was actually thinking ahead. He says here, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now have I written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. He says, with such an one know not to eat for what I have, for what have I to, to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So Paul had his hands full with this Corinthian church. And he was writing to the Corinthian church uh, to correct their um, lenient handling of, of, of sin issues in the, in the church, uh, the, the open, this open sinful behavior and this activity that was going on in the church. And so Paul was telling these Corinthians, look guys, you really need to start addressing some of these issues. You really need to start addressing some of these, these problems that are going on in your church. Now here's, here's my point here. Paul was not teaching an isolationist doctrine. Alright? I say that because there are some who will take this verse and that's exactly what they'll do. They'll, they'll preach an isolationist doctrine. And I, that is not what Paul has in mind here because of the phrase, he says, For then must ye needs go out of the world. Alright? Other words, uh, you guys are going to have to just cut off all contact with humanity altogether. Uh, this mentality is what has been called the uh, monastic mentality. Like these guys do, they build these little buildings on the very top of mountains and that's where they, that's where they stay. Uh, the tendency that some of us have is that we want to circle the wagons, don't let anybody in, and don't allow anybody out. There is that mentality. There is that mentality. So on your study guide, this mentality, they shut people out. Shut people out, not realizing that it is the people they are sent by Christ to love and show the way to the light as he is in the light. So in shutting people out, you're not ministering to the very people you've been sent to. Matthew 5, 14-16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle or put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you have this mentality of isolationism, what are you doing with that light? You're putting it under a basket. You're putting it under a basket. Unsuccessfully, and I know Christians that are like this, unsuccessfully Christians attempt to live this isolationist type of lifestyle to no avail. Um, this monastic mindset, they try to isolate themselves from all the influences of the world. Guess what? It don't work. It don't work. Um, they try to isolate themselves or they try to keep themselves uh, from everything that they consider a threat to their conscience. So they formulate laws and rules and boundaries to do this. And what are they doing? They're putting themselves under bondage, is what they're doing. Seeking to be free from the world's influence, they end up burdening them themselves. And what they really fail to realize as they create these little Christian greenhouses for themselves, they're bringing the world right along with them. We can't escape it. Because guess what? It's in us. It's in us. 
So on your study guide, they tend to lean toward legalism and exclusionism. I don't even know if that's a word. Okay? To the point where they no longer openly share their faith verbally, believing that living their faith is testimony enough and they're not required to do any more than this. Exclusionism. Yeah, they exclude people. They fail to recognize that the real issue is not the world, it's their sinful flesh. That's the real issue. And in their attempts to isolate and their attempts to exclude, what they're actually trying to do is they're actually trying to control the flesh by the power of the flesh. And I got news for you. That don't work. That don't work. In attempting to keep the world out, they're watching the world perish. And we're sent into the world to try to save as many as we plucking those brands out of the fire. Yes, ma'am. So, is what Paul is trying to say is more situationally? There may be times too. I mean, yes, there is. And there is, and I'm going to get to that. But there is a time for separation. Never a time for isolation. Okay, there is a time that we have to be separate. Jesus and his disciples separated from the crowds every once in a while. You know, Jesus separated himself from even his disciples, went up into the mountain to pray. So there is a, there is justification for separation. What I'm speaking against is the extreme view of this and completely having nothing to do with the lost or anybody, just being an isolationist. And that happens. People do that. People do that. Does that help? Okay. Uh, what happens with, with individuals like this is they end up developing a very narrow mindset. Very narrow mindset. Uh, and they're just simply enslaving themselves. Seeking to be free from the influence of the world, they become enslaved to these rules and these, 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 these boundaries and You know what they're looking for? Perfectionism. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. Just isn't. We are to be separate, not segregated. We are to be insulated, not isolated. Okay? Isolation don't work. Isolation don't work. Matthew 9, verses 10, starting in verse 10. I don't know if that's on your study guide or not. Oh, man, I can't believe that. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, there's your, there's your, there's your fellows, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, that was the world of the Pharisee. Going about to establish their own righteousness and... And all the while not submitting themselves unto the righteousness of God, according to Romans 10.2. These men were this way. In fact, they would wash their hands after going to the marketplace. Just in case they touched a sinner. Just in case they came in contact with a Gentile. You see the mindset that that creates? These men sacrificed much... But what was missing? Mercy, compassion, love. Right? The very folks that they were that God had, had had chosen these people for, they were meant to be a witness to the one true God, to the Gentiles, to the world. But these men had circled their wagons. They had become isolationists, and they weren't doing as God had them, what God wanted them to do, to be a testimony and a witness. 
to be a light to the world. Sometimes um, we get that same kind of mentality. You know, why should I care whether others perish? Because I'm okay. As long as I'm okay, that's all that matters. That's not the way to think. That's not the way to think. And the isolationists, they might make a claim of being in fellowship with the Father, but according to this passage in Matthew, they're not in fellowship with Jesus Christ because what did Jesus Christ do? He, Yeah, he ate with publicans and sinners. And can you be in fellowship with the Father and not be in fellowship with the Son? No, you can't, can you? That just doesn't compute. John 20, verse 20 through 21 says, And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So you see, just that verse alone, we cannot justify living on top of a hill somewhere. <laughs> right? We just can't. Because that's not according to God's word in regards to what, who we are and what we are to be about. So on your, on your study guide, one may remain encamped in their isolationist mentality, but this does not necessarily mean that one is in the will of God. Okay, we're talking about isolationism now. Nor in agreement with God, and ere go to be in fellowship with the Father who loved the world, that He sent His only begotten Son to save the world. So, if you're an isolationist, if you're going to, you know, create your own little bubble and exist in your own little bubble, right there, right there, you're not in God's will. Even though you might think you are. So, what is the answer to this? Well, 1 John three eighteen through 19 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So just as the gospel is to be shared, guess what else is to be shared? Us. Us. You know? I think that's, a, that's an obstacle for many of us. We can hand out the tracts, but when it's asked of us to give of ourselves, that's where a lot of us kind of er, throw on the brakes. It is a relationship. Yeah, it is a relationship. There is a lot of work, and it does require sacrifice. But that's the kind of sacrifice that's accompanied with mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say something that... Well, anyway, I'm going to say it. <laughs> it's not possible to enjoy fellowship with Jesus Christ on your own for very long. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? And there are people who do that. There are people who attempt to... It's just me and Jesus. And that's all I need. Well, I understand that. But if you have that mentality, then you're going to severely damage your spiritual growth. You just are. And the reason... For this is right here in John's epistle, 1 John 4, 20-21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Oh, I love God! Uh, his people, that's a different story. Have yourselves together. 
Yeah. He goes on and says in verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Oh, I love God. Well, what about Jeff? Eh, I'm not too crazy about Jeff. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> A prophet is without honor in his name. <laughs> Here's the deal, guys. The nearer we draw to God, then the larger is our love for others to grow. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work. And the greater our love, guess what else? The less and less... How am I going to put this? The less and less we love ourselves. What I mean by that is, is the less and less we are selfish. Self-centered. And that's what happens with an isolationist. They become self-centered. It's all about me and my happiness and my security and my this. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's the danger of isolationism. And if, if you're, if, you know, if you're, yeah, I love God, well, it says, those who love God, it's known of them. Now, how is it that it's known of them? By their words? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what about how they reach out to people and how they minister to people and how they relate to, you know, that's how. I had a, he's, he's, he's gone home to his reward, but I had a, I had a, a dear, dear friend, Sam Chockley. Some of you might have known Sam. That man was the epitome of Christian love. He just was. Uh, Walt Cundiff. Another man who was the epitome of, of Christian love. You know? If you love God, people are gonna know it. Why? By the way you love people. An isolationist? Not so much. Let me tell you something. It's not the isolationist or the religious hermit that does anybody any good. <laughs> not even themselves. The, the one who does the most good is the one who is doing for the very purpose that he was created. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. Loving God and loving others. Hmm. Where have I read that before? That's the person who does the most good. Not somebody sitting on a hill. Not somebody who's got their family holed up in their house and they're not going to let anybody get close to them. You're not going to do anybody any good. So on your study guide, loving the sun enough to step out of one's comfort zone. Da-da-da-da. And share the love of Christ with others in both word and deed without the exclusion of the other. This is what fellowship with the Father who so loved the world is to become. Now the second extreme, okay, here we've, we've swung this way. Now we're going to swing back this way. The second extreme is, here's a big word, licentiousness. There's licentiousness. I'll spell it. L-I-C-E-N, L-I-C-E-N-T-I-O-U-S-N-E-S-S. If you're close, it's good enough, okay? Yes, sir. It's a biblical word. <laughs> so, uh, did I put Second Corinthians six fourteen? Oh, I am just on the okay. Second Corinthians six fourteen. It says, "Be not be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth an infidel?" And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, 
Okay, not isolated, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and be, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So again, there's that separation, not isolation. Alright, we're to be insulated from the, the, the influence of the world. We are not to identify with these things of the world. We are to identify with Christ, okay? So yes, there is a separation that takes place. But don't build a little castle on the hill. Don't close your doors and pull down your blinds and pull your covers over your head. That's not what God wants us to do. Okay? So on your study guide, There are some believers who swerve so far from legalism and isolationism that they fall into being licentious. Okay, there's your word right there. Okay, so you can check your spelling. What they do is they take their liberty in Christ to the other extreme. Alright, instead of holding up somewhere, I mean, there's no everything goes attitude. They have no regard how their behavior may impact other believers. They have no regard how their behavior may appear to the world. They have no regard how it may bring uh, blame to the ministry or shame to the name of Jesus Christ because they're exercising their Christian liberty. So on your study guide, they become so entangled with the world that you can't tell the difference between the lost or the saved if one would judge the cover the book by its cover. You know, upon the surface of this thing, if you look at somebody in the way they're behaving and the way they're talking, they claim to know Jesus Christ, but then well then why are you living like that or why are you doing that or So on your study guide They identify so much with the world that they, in a practical way, lose their identity with Christ. Now, what I mean by that is, is their their testimony. Uh, And remember, we're talking extremes, folks. We're talking extremes. Uh, From one point of the pendulum swing to the other point. Now, I'm going to say something, and it may be offensive... But the majority of us live somewhere in between these two extremes. Sometimes we swing maybe too far to the isolationist side, especially when we get our feelings hurt or somebody offends us or, you know, maybe something is going on in our life that uh, we feel threatened by. Or we come the other way and it's like, you know, hey, I can do this or that or... So we're all we're all kind of right in there somewhere. We all do this. So on your study guide, uh, from this, and we're talking about licentiousness. From this, uh, you know, for some, this 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 may be due to a reaction against legalism. Uh, they may have been raised in a strict home environment where there's. Really more discipline than love. Uh, where there's more sacrifice than mercy. I'll make, I'll make a confession. I think that's what happened with my first son. When I, you know, I just, got, I got saved and I was gung ho. I was legalistic. And I think I was too hard on my oldest son. I mean, I really was. And I think he reacted against that and he, and he rebelled. He just rebelled. I had to go to him later on and apologize for my legalistic tendencies at the time. I was a young Christian. I was learning some things. I was excited about some things. But for some reason in my head, you know, I had all these rules, all these boundaries. And I think it drove them away. I really do. And that happens. Sometimes that happens. On your study guide, for others, it may be 
from a harsh experience in some church they attended. And so in rebellion against this yoke, they substitute it with another yoke called licentiousness. I know of folks who have come out of legalistic churches. And there's a lot for them to work through. There's a lot for them to work through. Because of the legalistic teaching. This strict legalism in a church. No grace. And especially no grace if you happen to stumble. Or fall into sin. I mean, oh my goodness, you thought you had created the unpardonable sin. You've lost your salvation. I've been in places like that. I've been in places like that. On your study guide, for others it may be just bad doctrine about grace and liberty or a lack of true discipleship or a matter of a willful attitude. So bad doctrine is your word. But tragically, there are those who know better and yet they don't do better. They know what God's word says about the issue of Christian liberty, but... For some reason, it doesn't apply to them. And so they'll go ahead and do certain things and they'll tout their Christian liberty, justifying their misbehavior. I know some folks like that. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So... Of course, the context is, you know, we're not justified by the law. Paul's dealing with uh, these false teachers that come into the Galatian church and they told them they need to be circumcised and they need to follow the law of Moses in order to be a complete Christian and all this hogwash that goes along with that. But there are some who have taken this, have taken this verse to justify throwing off all restraint altogether, all moderation altogether, claiming to have Christian liberty and then pretty much living a very, um, I'll say it, sinful, sinful, carnal, free-willing life. And I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like that we've got to be very careful and we've got to be straight and narrow and all that. Again, I'm talking extremes. Okay, I'm talking extremes. Do they justify that, living that way by uh, uh, saying that their sins are forgiven? Yeah, I've got an example of that. Oh. I do. But you're absolutely right. You know, hey, I've got liberty in Christ, so I'm no longer under the law, so, you know, anything goes pretty much. In the extreme, in the extreme cases. But we all kind of swing in there somewhere at times. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, Welcome back, by the way. <laughs> you missed me, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> so, I, I know that, you know, salvation is personal, but if we have bad doctrine over here, we have sort of bad doctrine over here, where does true salvation fall in? I mean, are there truly saved people that are isolating and there are truly saved people that are stupidly licentious? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, there is. Exactly. Yes, there is. There certainly is. Yeah. How is a person saved? How is a person? How is a person? How is a person saved? Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. For, he shed his blood for your sins. Okay. Yes, there are people who truly are born again believers that do live within this pendulum swing on both. Ex- there are a lot that tend, attend these sort of churches or groups. That never truly knew the real Jesus, that really had grace, that, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't want you to isolate and wouldn't want you to, you know. We have legalistic churches teaching a legalistic way of life, and we have licentious churches that teach it's okay to marry another man, marry another woman. So we do have our extremes, and then we have everything in the middle. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about, the extremes. We're seeing it right now today. We're seeing an extreme in the church today. 
And I've got an example of that later on in, in one of my lessons. But there isn't, there are extremes. We are in a time of extremes right now. But can they really be saved? I think it's if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that is what saves the person. Now, if their lifestyle, you know, I mean, but the important thing is that true, that true saving faith. Okay. I'm not a fruit inspector. I can't go on and say, Ron's saved and you're not. Can I? I can't. Now, I can't, you know, I could, I could point to somebody who's very strict, very legalistic, you know, and very righteous, but like the Pharisees, they could be as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. At the same time, there could be somebody who's very free, very libertarian in their, in their way of life, but they could be saved. But I don't, I don't know that. God knows that. What I can do is take those individuals where they're at, speak with them, counsel with them, show them what God's Word has to say on that, and hopefully that truth will enter in and make the necessary corrections. Does that make sense? But I can't call a person out saying, just because this or just because that, I don't... I knew a man one time that said, I can talk to somebody for three minutes and tell whether they're saved or not. Really? Are you God? you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Now, we, we, we meet people where they're at, show them what God's Word says, and then trust in the Holy Spirit to do the work. That's the simple answer. We get it all convoluted. I hope that helps. That's my approach. Let me put it that way. That's my approach. Um, the scary part is it's hard to find the truth in those extreme churches. You know what I mean? It's hard for someone to get there. It is, it is very difficult. And again, we're talking extremes. We are talking extremes. Yeah, it is very difficult. Very, very difficult. Uh, some people, for, uh, for a lifetime... Still struggle with things. So, uh, see, where, where did I? So on the study guide, what they fail to understand is that the liberty we have in Christ is not so much from the law per se. Have I filled that in yet? And that they can do as they please, but rather liberty from our carnal sin nature. That's our real liberty. Liberty from our carnal sin nature and that we are no longer slaves to sin but under God's grace. That's the real liberty we have in Jesus Christ. Liberty in Christ is not meant to be an incentive to live immoderate, is your word, or immodest lives. Immoderate, I-M-M-O-D-E-R-A-T-E, and immodest. Galatians 5.13, Paul goes on, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Unfortunately, a lot of people take their liberty and they use it as an occasion for the flesh. So I've got to, I've got to speed up here. I want to get through this lesson. I may not. The word occasion is an interesting word. Uh, found here in Galatians 5.13. If you trace it through the Bible, as you look at it, how it is used, it comes to mean a base of operations. A base of operations or a starting point, like in a war campaign or something like that. So a base of operations. Romans 7.8, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Romans 7.11, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived deceived me and by it slew me. So on your study guide, the righteous law of God provided sin a starting point, a base of operations for its attack on the soul to deceive and to kill. Stop and think about it. This is the very tactic that the serpent used with Eve in the garden. 
Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, had made and said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of every, of the, uh, eat of every tree of the garden. He's taken God's command, using that as his starting point to tempt Eve. Right? He's appealing to her less of the flesh, less of the eyes, and pride of life. And he's using God's command to do so as a starting point. As a starting point. That's how wicked he is. He'll take something good and mean it for evil. Mean it for evil. And in doing so, what did he do? He had Eve start to question God's word. The law is not evil, folks. But sin will take what is good and he'll and it'll turn it for evil. It'll do it every time. It'll do it every time. Romans seven ten and the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death, for sin taking occasion by the commandment, a base of operations, a starting point, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So sin used something good to our evil. That's the wickedness of our enemy. 2 Corinthians 5.12 For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. So here's the other side of the coin. Paul's upright and sincere conduct before the Christian church provided his friends with a base of operations to oppose those who wish to attack Paul and detract from Paul's ministry and authority in the gospel. So, So there's the good side of this. 2 Corinthians 11.12 What I do that I will do that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion that wherein they glory they may be found even as we. So on your study guide by not taking any money from the Corinthians while he was in their presence ministering and teaching them Paul took away any position for his enemies to attack Paul's sincerity in service. So you see it works both ways. It works both ways. First Timothy 5.14 I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide those, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So the Apostle Paul admonishes the misbehavior, is the word, of the young widow, young widow so they would not provide Satan, the accuser of the brethren, to have a basis to find fault with the church. You see, when you live right, you take, you take that away from the enemy. Galatians 5.15, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. So in the same vein, on your study guide, a born-again believer liberated from the law, liberated is the word, is not to use their liberty as a base of operations to allow the flesh to have free course in their life. So don't use the liberty of Christ as an excuse to live a licentious life. So, on your study guide, our liberty in Christ is not a base of operations. A free pass, if you will. A starting point to living a life of excess and immorality. Liberty in Christ does not mean licentiousness and that there is no moral legal restraint. No accountability is your word for misbehavior as though one is no longer answerable to God or to others. Am I going too fast? Now I'm looking at, I'm going to take that clock off the wall. So liberated, free pass, excess, immorality, accountability. Romans 3.31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. We establish the law with our lives. 
Now, here's an example of the extreme. And I've told you about my buddy before. I had a friend who was caught in the act of adultery. His defense was that he was ministering to a woman whose husband was in a coma. Okay, so her husband was in a coma. And so he was ministering to this gal and it turned into a unfortunate situation. Uh, My uh, friend's actions were discovered when the wife of the man in the coma um, rightly went to the pastor of their church and confessed her part. She, She knew she... She had sinned and had given into into temptation at a low point in her emotional state. Her husband's been in a coma for quite some time. She was lonely. And my friend took advantage of the situation. My friend was confronted by his pastor about his taking advantage of the sister in Christ, of which my friend gave his reason for what he did and that he was ministering to her. And he felt that the pastor was wrong in the assessment of his actions. My friend honestly believed he did nothing wrong and said so. Of course, um, totally unacceptable. So my friend lost his position as being a deacon in the church and then was placed under church discipline. And instead of being repentant, he got very angry at the church. He got very angry at Christianity in general. When I, when I attempted to speak to him uh, one day, he got very angry at me, and this is what he said. He says, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb, and therefore no longer accountable for what I do. That's the extreme. That's an extreme case, but there are a lot of people who think that way. There are a lot of people who think that way. From my past conversation with my friend, I knew he had a very extreme view of God's grace. A very extreme view of God's grace and what liberty in Christ truly meant. And it was because of this extreme view of God's grace that led him into this kind of thinking. The danger of bad doctrine. The danger of bad doctrine. So on your study guide... We are saved by grace, but the same grace does not give us occasion to live in sin. The old man has been crucified. Yet somewhere the corpse of the old man, claiming that the stench of their smell is nothing more than Christian liberty. 1 John 1, six. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This incident that, uh, that I tell you about with my friend, that's an extreme example. But uh, sadly, there's a lot of people who live with that very same kind of mentality. That very same kind of mentality. So on your study guide, the value of sound doctrine is to maintain a balance and right relationship with God as we partake and live that unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I had a pastor tell me one time, he says, you know, one of the, one of the um, hazards of uh, Christianity is the concept of idealism. He says Christians become very idealistic. He says, he says, what you need to seek is a balance. Avoid the extremes. You need to seek a balance. And I thought that was very good advice. Very good advice. I wish he would have told me that before my son rebelled. You know? But it was, it was years after. Okay. Can I do this in ten minutes? So let me give you five considerations in governing your liberty. No, I can't. I know I can't. I don't think I'm going to be able to. So I'll tell you what. Let me hold off on that. I'll hold off on that, and we'll do. We'll we'll finish that off, and then we'll start.
the next uh, study guide. Yes, ma'am. I know we're almost out of time, but can you just like expand on your saying Christians can be very idealistic? What are you saying? Okay, um, as an example, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes. As an example, new moms. You ever been around a brand new mom? They've got all the answers. They're using the latest formulas. They're using the latest gadgets. They're, you know, everything. I mean, they've got it down. Brand new mom. They've got it down. They know what they're doing. You know, they've got the, the, the latest this and the latest that. And that's an idealistic mindset. You know, they've got such high standards. But after they've had two, three kids. Yeah, they, they, yeah, exactly. They come down to reality. They come down to a reality. That's what happens in, in the Christian life. Um, you know, I use myself as an example. You know, I got, uh, a fellow led me to the Lord, you know, and the Holy Spirit of God came in me and I grabbed my wife's old King James Bible that her grandmother had given to her one time and I just absolutely devoured it. I couldn't get enough of it. And then I started to get this mentality in my head that I, I was all that in a bag of chips, you know. And, and, and my stuff didn't stink and, and I could walk on water and I was going around with, you know, with my coworkers and I was, you know, condemning them for this and condemning them for that and look at me as the perfect example for this and the perfect. What was going on there? That's that idealistic mindset, you know? And then what happened was some events took place in my life that knocked me down a few pegs. And showed me that, you know what, Jeff, you're really not all that hot stuff. And who's really getting the glory here? And really, is that showing more mercy and love, or is that just... So that idealism that takes place sometimes in people's lives is is really an unrealistic thing. They set themselves so... They set their standards so high, and they set themselves so high... That they're not, a, they're not ministering, they're not reaching out in love to others, it's more about showcasing me. That's just one of the aspects of idealism. Just one of the aspects of idealism. But when you get into God's Word and you start reading about Jesus Christ's character and you see how Jesus Christ dealt with people and met people's needs and if you're wanting to shoot for an ideal, that's the ideal to shoot for. That's the ideal to shoot for. You know, not me, myself, and I. I'm all that in a bag of chips. And like I said, I had a few two by fours upside the head before I got that message. Does that help? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a good question, though. It's a very good question. Okay, I'm going to close out, and we'll finish this up next week, and then we'll start a new one. Uh, I just get so long-winded. <laughs> I apologize for that. But anyway, yeah, all right. This so that's how I learn, you know. I want to hear everything you have to say.